you for listening to today's message. Avenue Church is a Christian church located in Las Vegas. For more information, visit avenuechurch.cc. Enjoy the message. I'm so proud of the Bosmas and what's been accomplished here at Avenue for the last three years. I, I mean, it's just very, very exciting. And when Jeremy called and asked if I would uh, preach this Sunday, I took that as an honor and a privilege to stand in this pulpit. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. The scriptures will be up on the screen, so if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. Um, But, uh, you know, Christmas is about faith, Christmas is about family, and Christmas is about food. (laughs) Who can say food? I mean, growing up, I know my dad is here somewhere. Dad, where is he? Probably the oldest guy in the house, just so you know. (laughs) Wherever he is, he used to make these barbecued spare ribs on Christmas Sunday morning. So I grew up eating barbecued spare ribs on on Christmas, and uh, I enjoyed it. I I met this woman by the name of Robin, and uh, she brought me to California from the, the great state of South Dakota, See, your pastor and I are from the Dakotas, special men from the Dakotas, right? And uh, so I came, and and they had something called gumbo. I'm here to tell you, I've acquired a taste, but it's a test of your love when you first come to a new family and you eat gumbo for the very first time. And it it was challenging. Then then I tried to throw a new one on her. My grandma would send us lefsa. Who knows what lefsa is? Two hands. Thank you guys very much. Really appreciate that. I pastored here in Las Vegas for 23 years, and uh, at the church I used to be at here, they would bring me tamales for Christmas. Oh! (laughs) So so I've hit something that everybody likes here, and it's tamales. So I appreciate that. Now, now you need to be careful, though, because in America, between Thanksgiving and New Year's, we're going to gain over 1 billion pounds. One billion pounds. That's why I'm appreciative of the fact that Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And God has given us, you and me, a word for today from Matthew chapter 2. And and you know what my hope is? My hope is as we're gathered together that you will feast on the nuggets that are given today and that you will be able to take them home with you because today's message is entitled Holiday M&M's. And I've brought some for you after the service. I'm going to give every single one of you a bag of holiday M&M's because I want you to remember this message. At Georgia State University, they did a study a couple of years ago that if you eat in a group, you eat 44% more. But if you eat the Word of God in a group, I'm believing you're going to eat 44% more today. Amen? That's what we're going to do. So this is what it says, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born, so Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, say Magi, Magi, wise guys, uh, astrologers, magicians even, uh, men who had accumulated knowledge over the course of many, many years, all of the the knowledge of the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and, 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 and for generations, generations, they came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the first M&M that I want to give you today is mystery. Say mystery. mystery. Now, I don't know about you. I, I love a good mystery. I love grabbing a, a novel and, and going on vacation and, and reading and, and not quite knowing the end of the book. I, I really enjoy trying to figure out who done it and, and, and how all the different threads of the story come together. I, I love watching mystery movies and, and, and again, trying to figure out who actually committed the crime or whatever. Now, now, now there's two problems with, with mystery when it comes to, to Christmas. Problem number one is this. We already know how the story ends, right? If you've come to church over, over the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, the mystery seems to have left the Christmas story. We know it by heart. We know it by rote. We, we, we know everything about it. Now, now, the second problem is there are people who don't believe that Jesus was really born of a virgin. And so what they do is they classify, and that might be you, and I understand why. It's, it's hard to believe sometimes. You might classify the Christmas story as mythology. Don't mistake mythology for mystery. Listen, listen, listen. Don't mistake mythology for mystery. You see, over the last thousand years, there have been scientific breakthroughs and people sometimes couldn't figure them out. You know what? My God is so big, we will never say never. We will never be able to figure it all out. But God has given us hints. And, and, and that's what I love about the mystery of biblical prophecy, is biblical prophecy are hints that, that something is going to happen, something big, something dramatic. Let, let, let me ask you this. If I were to tell you uh, that the football game's going on right now, I think Pastor Jeremy's at a football game, isn't he? He's in Green Bay, Wisconsin, watching his bears go down in defeat. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I mean, watching his bears have a, a great comeback at the very end and defeat the... Well, this is no win in this church. She's a Packer fan and he's a Bear fan. So someone's going to be mad after... Well, what if I were to tell you I knew who was going to win ahead of time? What if I were to tell you that I actually know the score of the game? It's going to be 27 to 23. Better than that, what if I said I know what the score of every NFL game is going to be this weekend? You'd say, Pastor, give me those scores and I'm going to go down to the strip right now. <laughs> or you would say, Pastor, I think you're smoking something. <laughs> it is legal now, right? You know, we have a police officer in the front row here, so I, I want to make sure. I, I think it's legal. Or you would say, hey, may maybe you just went back to the future and you've driven your DeLorean back in your mind and you think you know, because it's impossible. Nobody could predict with that specificity what's going to happen this NFL weekend. But the Old Testament did. The Old Testament actually predicted that, that wise men were going to come from the east. Now listen, this was 1,000 years in advance. In Psalm chapter 72, it said that they're going to come and give gifts to this newborn king. 
It was predicted in Jeremiah that there was gonna be a slaughter of babies to and under. It was predicted in Micah that the Messiah is gonna be born in the city of Bethlehem. And with all of those things that the Bible got right, could it possibly be right when it says Jesus was born of a virgin? I think the possibility is real. At the very least, it is a mystery that we have to discuss and talk about. No more so than than who Jesus is. You see, for the last 2,000 years, there has been debate. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because because 2,000 years ago, he was a newborn baby. But the Bible says that he's the ancient of days. Mary thought, well, this is my, my, my son. But the scripture says that he's the eternal father. He laid in a manger as a helpless, vulnerable child. And yet the scripture says that he's the all-powerful creator of the universe. He limited himself to live in flesh. And yet it's the same God who is omnipresent all places at all times. The mystery is this. God is fully God, or Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man simultaneously. He didn't lose his divinity. He covered his divinity. He didn't lose his divinity. He hid it temporarily so that he could accomplish something mysterious for all of mankind. So what really just boggles my mind is why? Why would God do something like this? The Bible tells us why, because God loved you so much. Because he loved the world so much. He didn't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the Bible also describes how he did this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. And I'm not going to read it today. You can read these scriptures, but this is what it's all about. It's called the kenosis. And all that means is that God or Jesus emptied himself of his rights, of his riches, of his prerogatives, of his privileges, and he, he lowered himself to become this innocent little baby, and he trusted God the Father with, with the call to go all the way to the cross and to die on a cross so that humanity could be redeemed. Who can say amen to that? That's great, great news. The second m M&M I want to give you today is, is majesty. Say majesty. In verse 2, the the wise men show up. Can can you imagine what this must have been like? All of these guys, and now now we think three wise men. The Bible doesn't say there were three. It just says there were three gifts. So there could have been six, there could have been nine, there could have been 12. Needless to say, there were probably servants, there were were camels. Uh, We know based upon scripture that they were on probably a two-year journey. So that means they had to to bring all their food with them and tents with them for when they were staying. So so this must have been a caravan of scores, maybe even a, a hundred or more people that come upon Jerusalem looking for the newborn king. Verses 3 of of this chapter tells us that that Herod and all Jerusalem were disturbed at this. Now, I think about kings, and and they don't really mean much to me. How how about you? I mean, I've never served a king. When when, when I think of kings, I I, I think of something that's old-fashioned. I think of something that's out of date. 
Or sometimes I think of something that's a little bit romantic. And the reason I think that is because Robin and I are, have been uh, watching some of these Lifetime and Hallmark movies. <laughs> Anybody else? I, I mean, I, I really believe Die Hard is a Christmas story, all right? And, but somehow I've been hooked on these Lifetime movies. And they're cheesy and silly and dumb. And, and you know how they're going to end. And yet I sit there for two hours and watch this show. The other night we were watching The Christmas Prince. Anybody see this one? Oh, oh a couple. Of, it was so sweet. This woman in New York, she falls in love with this guy. And, and, and he's a prince, but she doesn't know it. And, and so she takes him home to meet her family. And, and, and when she's in a restaurant, some lady who follows, I think it's royalty.com or something like that, she recognizes him and she freaks out. Oh, it's a prince. And of course, the girlfriend is like, you're a prince, you know? She didn't even recognize it. Kind of the way most people are when it comes to Jesus. We don't recognize that he's the prince of peace. We don't recognize that he's not just the king of the Jews. He's not just the king of the ages. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who Jesus is. And so these wise men recognize that Jesus is this king. Now, now, when we get on the internet and we look up king, the first thing that I saw was Stephen King. I saw Elvis Presley come up. I saw the Sacramento Kings and Burger King and Lion King. But nowhere on the internet did it say Jesus is king. Not in the first 10 pages. It didn't say Jesus anywhere. And yet he is the king of all kings. And, and so I, I look up the word majesty in the dictionary. And, and this is what it says. Royal bearing. Grandeur. Greatness. Splendor. Sovereignty. Powerful. Dignity. These are just awe-inspiring words that point to, to what a king or a majestic person is supposed to be like. And so that's why we're looking at the book of Matthew today. Because Matthew is known as the gospel of the king. And it shows from the very first verse the majestic heritage of Jesus Christ. In verse 1 it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Who knows who David was? Anybody? He's the king of what? King of Israel. That's right. He was the king of Judah, the king of Israel. Both two kingdoms came together for 33 years, and, and he was their king. And so Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is communicating that through Jesus' stepfather, you notice I say stepfather, through Jesus' stepfather, that he has the right to the throne of David. The author Luke writes in the book of Luke that through Mary, he also traces his lineage all the way back to the throne of David. But in both Luke and Matthew, God makes one thing abundantly clear. The baby that is going to be born in your womb is not going to be from Joseph. He's going to be from the Holy Spirit of the living God. A miracle. Say miracle. See, that was a free M&M right there. Miracle, I just threw that one out for the fun of it. Majestic name. Jesus has this majestic name. Psalm chapter eight, verse one says this. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. 
In the New Testament, it says that, that God is going to give Jesus a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And so I start thinking, how do we rank these names? I, I don't get it. I, I think Tom is higher than Robin. What do you think? Okay, okay, Robin's higher than Tom. At the name of Robin, I shall bow my knee. But, but, but a lot of people have the name Jesus or Jesus. Did, did you know that, that there were moms back in, in that day naming their kids Joshua, Jesus, because they wanted their sons to be the Messiah? And, and so when, when I'm looking at this, that his name is majestic, what does that actually mean? And, and then it dawned on me. It, it, it's not just the, the name that he's given. It's, it's the reputation behind that name. It's everything that this person accomplishes over the course of their life. And Jesus accomplished the salvation of all humanity. And because he was faithful and because he was obedient and because he sacrificed himself, God gave him a name that is above every other name. So here's what happens. One name is not enough for Jesus. We have to give him multiple names. If you look through the Bible, he's got like 20, 30, 40 different names just to describe all of the aspects of his character. Jesus, it simply means uh, the Lord God, our save. he'll save us from our sins. Emmanuel, here, here's a good one. It means God with us. You guys know that one. But let's go a little bit deeper, okay? What does it mean that the same Jesus who turned water into wine is with us? What does it mean that the same Jesus who walked on water is with us? What does it mean that the, the same Jesus who waged war against the devil for 30-some for years and was victorious over, over sickness, was victorious over demonic oppression, was victorious over death, hell, and the grave, what does it mean that this Jesus is with us today? It means that we will never, say never, we will never be alone in any situation in our life for the rest of our lives. Now, I understand. I understand the blues. I understand depression. I understand those, those things and how sometimes the holidays bring those things to us. But listen, church, if we tap into the, the real message of Christmas, then those things will be, will be removed from off of our shoulders in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. There will be a, this will be a season to be merry and bright. It will be a season to, to lift our heads and to look towards Jesus Christ and to believe that our God is with us. Why? Because he's wonderful. He's a counselor that can help us in every situation. Anytime we have a question, if we're wondering what to do, what path to take, what road to get on, he will counsel us the right way. He's a mighty God. He can handle any situation. He's an everlasting father. He will never forsake us. And he is the prince of peace. Say peace, please. Peace. That's who he is. Now, I kind of made fun of myself in the first service. Um, I, I, well, actually, Lindsay started it by saying how many decades I am. Uh, I'm about six decades now. And uh, so that means I grew up partially in the 60s. 
And uh, our elementary school used to be right next to the high school in the town that I'm from. And uh, it was really bad because the teachers would try and keep us away from the, the high school building because it was right next to our playground because the high school kids would throw things at us. And the teachers were afraid that they were going to throw out drugs because drugs were a big deal back then. It was the, the, the peace generation. This, this is what we did back then. Anybody remember this? Peace. So I want you to look at your neighbor right now and give him the peace sign. Make sure it's both fingers. All right? So listen, listen, listen. Jesus, when he was going up into heaven, you know what he said? He said, I'm going to give you my peace. And peace doesn't mean just the absence of conflict. Peace in both the Greek language and in the Hebrew language means an all-encompassing word of life being completely different. There is a well-being associated with it, a, a calm thinking associated with it, a prosperous journey associated with it. It, it. it is a powerful, powerful word that means your life should never, ever be the same again. And so, so I'm, I'm starting to look at the majesty of Jesus Christ, this majestic heritage, this majestic name, but there's also a majestic splendor associated with Jesus Christ. Now, when I'm watching a movie and a king comes out and they have their royal robes and the scepter and everything, sometimes I can imagine, that, that's me, you know, I, I, I could be dressed in purple and have a gold crown and all that kind of stuff. But can you imagine the majesty of Jesus Christ? The, the, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 33, 26, he descends from heaven in majestic splendor. Psalm 93.1 says he's clothed in majesty. It's referring to, to the beauty and the brightness and, and, and how awesome Jesus really is. I, I start thinking about the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Because one day Jesus, I don't even know why he did this completely, okay? But he said, hey, Peter, James, John, why don't you come with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go up and pray on the top of a mountain. So Jesus takes these three disciples up to the top of the mountain, and all of a sudden, God starts literally talking to him. Peter and James and John are, are hearing sounds, and, 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 and this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and then all of a sudden, Moses shows up, and Elijah shows up, and, and all of a sudden, something starts sneaking out of Jesus Christ himself. It's as if Jesus unveils just a little glimpse as to who he is on the inside. Because the Bible describes it as this brilliant light, this brilliant whiteness that they could not even comprehend. It was so majestic that they were in complete and total awe and they didn't have any idea what they should even do. So I look up this word majesty in the dictionary and there's another definition. It means awesome wonderment. And that's exactly where Peter was. He was in awe of this Jesus Christ. I look back at Psalm 8, 1 again and it says your name is, is majestic in all the earth. Now, but listen to the second part of the verse. It says you have set your glory in the heavens. This all makes sense to me now. Jesus could only reveal a little bit of his glory, a little bit of his majesty, because if he showed it all, what did God say to Moses? You, you can't look at me, 
Because the day you see me, you will surely die. Not because God is mean, but because he is majestic. Because he is, he is resplendent. He is beyond our imagination. And so, so what God does is he lets a little bit of his majesty be shown in the heavens, the Bible says. He establishes his glory, his majesty in the heavens. So, so everybody look up right now. Okay? Have you ever seen a bird fly through the sky? Sure. Did you know that's the majesty of God? Let me explain. There is a bird called the red knot. It is a sandpiper type bird. And it spends its entire life uh, flying back and forth from the tip of South America to the very northern part of the world in the Arctic area, northern Canada and northern Greenland. Now this bird will take off somewhere around February and it will fly north, a 9,000 mile trek. And it will land in various places along the way to eat. And one of the places that it lands is in Delaware. And when it lands in, in this Bay Area, it's at the exact same time that the horseshoe crab is coming onto land and laying its eggs. And every single one of these birds eats over 100,000 eggs in one sitting. And it empowers that bird to make it all the way back up in the summer months. And it's still cold up there to, to the Arctic region where, where the, the mama birds will lay about four eggs on average. Those birds will, will be hatched. And then somewhere along the, in the summer, in, in July, early July, mama takes off and goes back to Argentina. Now, how many wish it worked that way as human mamas? After you give birth, you get to go to Argentina for a couple of months, away from the children. Well, a week after she leaves, dad leaves. And coincidentally, dad is able to find her every single time in Argentina after flying 9,000 miles because they mate for life. About a month after that, a month and a half after that, all the baby birds, they fly and somehow, miraculously, they're able to find their mom and dad in Argentina six weeks later. No one's ever explained it to them. They just know how to do it. And one particular bird that they caught in Delaware 18 years ago, they just caught this year also. And so these birds are a miracle, say miracle, in the sky. If that's not enough, look up in the middle of the night. Look at the stars. Look at the pictures that the Hubble telescope takes uh, on a regular basis. You get to see pictures like this over and over and over again on a regular basis in science magazines, on television. It, it is amazing how beautiful these pictures are. It's as if God has bedazzled the sky just for my wife, Robin. If you don't know my wife, every time I go into the pink bathroom... Yes, we have a pink bathroom at my house, all right? And every time I go into the pink bathroom, there's a sign, and it says, she who leaves a trail of glitter is never forgotten. And that is Robin. She leaves a trail of glitter. And God has left a trail of glitter so that he will never, ever, ever be forgotten. 
Because God, go ahead. Because God is our Messiah. Say Messiah. Verses 3 and 4 talk about the angst that Herod and all Jerusalem are going through. And then he asks the scribes and the teachers of the law, where is the one who's going to be born, the Messiah going to be born? And so he recognizes that this newborn king must be the Messiah. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they go into the, into the Old Testament, and they go, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And, and, and what I find ironic is that we, we sometimes go, yeah, if I was there, I wouldn't have been troubled. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 29. I want you to look at this verse. Do we have that? Mary was greatly troubled. Do you remember the message that Pastor Jeremy spoke two weeks ago? He was talking about Mary. And the first thing that happened to Mary after she heard the message from God was she was greatly troubled. Herod's just troubled. The people in Jerusalem are just, they're just disturbed. It's the exact same word, except in Mary's case, they have a little addition, greatly troubled. I need you to understand something. When Jesus first comes into every human being's life, it produces trouble. Did you hear me? You see, we pastors have not done our parishioners or non-Christians a service at all. We've done them a disservice. Because we tell them many times that accept Jesus into your life and everything will be okay. No, 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 no. When Jesus first comes into our life, it makes a, it, it's a moment of decision. It's a crossroads. And the problem is... Not, Every single one of us have a little Herod on the throne of our hearts. And Herod was already the king. He did not want another king to be born. And the Bible says that in every one of our lives, we are the king and we are the queen of our own lives. And Jesus makes a claim on us. He says he created us. And then he says, I have also died for you. So I own you twice over. And I don't want to make you a slave. I want to make you a son and a daughter. I want to bring you into the family of God. But you have to relinquish the throne to me. You have to allow me to be the Messiah. But Herod, what did he do? He got angry. He got so mad, the scripture says that he sent soldiers to kill every baby two years of age and under. Now, in our imaginations, I don't know if you are thinking thousands or millions, but it was probably 15 or 20 kids, okay? But listen, one death is too many. One baby should not have been killed for the sake of, of this megalomaniac. Uh, it, it, it's, it's sad. But also, you, you, you look at the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they didn't even go to Bethlehem. Could you imagine being a, a person so well-schooled in the word of God that you know exactly where the Messiah is going to be born and you hear that he's arrived and it doesn't move you to action at all? They just sat there. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they were too comfortable. Maybe they liked the way religiosity was going for them at that time. And that's why I'm here to tell you that Jesus first troubles you before he comforts you. 
He first disturbs you, and then he protects you after the fact. But we have to go through that process to get there. And, and, and think, of, think of the two-year journey these wise men took. What did they say when they first saw him? They were in awe of Jesus Christ. They called him king in verse 2. They were overjoyed in verse 10. They fell down in verse 11. They gave gifts in verse 11. Oh, look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 real quick. This is the verse that I call the Marian bright verse right here. Okay? Because none of us probably speak Greek but, but there's something interesting here in the Greek language. And, and the idea behind this is that when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Okay? Number one. With exceeding, that means the, the, the joy was more than normal joy. Great joy. So it's a fourfold process. In, in other words... When they saw the star above this house, they knew they were going to meet the most glorious human being they were ever going to meet in their lives. And their immediate response was to get down on their knees, to give gifts, to celebrate, to be overwhelmed with joy and merriness and brightness because they understood that this man was going to rock, change, transform the entire world. So the last verse is verse 12, and uh, it's a really interesting verse because it says that the wise men had all intentions of going back to Herod and telling Herod where this baby was, but God warned them in a dream to go a different direction. You see, when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter his word, God always wants you to go a different direction. Say different. God wants you to be different. When you walk out of this church today, God wants you to, to make a decision. I'm going to be different. I'm going to recognize the mystery that is in the Christmas story. I'm going to make Jesus Christ the king of my life. I'm going to do something different that I've never done before because I've been inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to go home a different direction. So here are the four lessons as we wrap this thing up. I call them Magi lessons. Say Magi. That's your fourth M&M for today. Wise people respond to the mystery of Jesus. If you're going to be wise, you need to respond to the mystery of Jesus. You might say, well, what are you talking about, Pastor Tom? Well, well, the Magi responded to the star. Think about this. A star goes up in the sky. They didn't have to go seek for Jesus. They could have said, oh, look at that star. But something inside said, you know what, I've got to do something. It's not enough just to hear. It's not enough just to see. I've got to do something. The shepherds responded to the angel. Mary responded to the word that was planted in her heart. And when she responded, Jesus literally was birthed into her life. You have an opportunity to have Jesus birthed into your life today. Who can say amen to that? It's a glorious thing. There's little things we can do during the Christmas holidays, too. I think, I don't know what it was, Robin. It was probably, it was a long time ago. But I was getting a little weary with, with all the decorations. 
I was getting a little weary with all the commercialism. I was getting a little weary with stuff like that. And, and, and it dawned on me, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't I use all of that stuff as a springboard to respond to Jesus? I mean, when I look at the scripture, I see that, that, that God commanded the angels to roll back the night and to fill it with a, a dazzling light just for the shepherds. That, that God lit up the night with a miracle star to, to guide the wise men. Jesus allowed his glory and majesty to leak out during his transfiguration. So the least I can do is, is embrace the Christmas season and even decorate my house so that the world can see that Jesus really is the light of the world. Amen? And just because we're empty nesters, we still keep decorating, don't we? Keep that house beautiful. Number two, wise people recognize the majesty of Jesus. Now, understand the advantage that we have in the, in the 21st century. Do you understand that the, the Jewish people were looking for a, an earthly Messiah, they were looking for someone to literally sit in the throne of David and to kick the Romans out and to rule the world. But Jesus came and introduced the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear that? He introduced the kingdom of heaven, but make no mistake, this spiritual kingdom is going to be an earthly kingdom someday. That Jesus is going to come back to this planet and he is going to rule and reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 says, His ever-expanding, peaceful government will never end. He will rule with perfect fairness and justice from the throne of his father David. And he will bring true justice and peace to all the nations of the world. This is going to happen because the Lord of heaven's armies has dedicated himself to do it. It is a done deal. You can sign up if you want to or you don't have to in the name of Jesus Christ. So number three, wise people receive the Messiah Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You might say, Pastor, how do you, how do, you do that? Well, it's all done right on the inside here. It tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, this is, this is the amplified version. It says this, if you confess, if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, just say that, would you? Jesus is Lord. One more time. Jesus is Lord. Now listen, it's not a magic incantation. Just by saying those words doesn't do anything. But listen, if you confess with your mouth, that means recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how easy it is. Now, now listen, I didn't say it's easy after the fact. It's easy to accept him in, and then he starts messing with your life. He starts you know, trying to, trying to get you to change and transform. Now, now, you don't have to do it yourself. He will give you the power to do it in his name. You can break addictions. You can, you can uh, stop drinking if you want to. You can stop cussing and swearing, not through sheer willpower, but through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. See, a lot of people say, well, well I'll, I'll clean up my life and then I'll come to church. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You accept Christ, and he begins cleaning up our lives. 
transforming our lives, changing our lives. So, so that's really how simple it is. You rely on the mercy. Say mercy. See, that's your last m M&M for today. See, it's not through our good works. It's not through how smart we are. It's not through even coming to church. It's not through giving a bunch of money. It's because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Would you bow your heads? If you'd like that everlasting life today, if something in this message spoke to your heart and you want to make Jesus your Messiah, your King, the majestic one for you, would you just raise your hand real quick and say, Pastor, that's me. I would love to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Sure, I see your hand. Anybody else? Could I ask everybody to pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that God raised him from the dead. And today, I make Jesus the King of my life. I accept him as my Savior, as my Messiah. And I know that things will be different starting today. I pray this. I believe this in Jesus' name. And everyone together says, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to today's message. Avenue Church is a Christian church located in Las Vegas. For more information, visit avenuechurch.cc.